We've talked before on Licensed to Parent about Vince Lombardi, the NFL football coach who led the Green Bay Packers to three straight NFL championships back in the 1960s. Now, that great success began to diminish over time until the team fell into a horrible slump. Lombardi realized that the heart of the problem was that his team had abandoned the fundamentals of the game. Has similar abandonment happened to the American family? What about the church, or perhaps our culture at large? As we raise our children, what would it look like if we returned to the fundamentals of what is most certainly more than the game of Christian parenting? Let's find out today on Licensed to Parent. Well, thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long residential program for teens in crisis located just north of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Rich Rosl, and our host on Licensed to Parent is the founder and executive director of Shepherds Hill and a five-time parent himself, Trace Embry. And Trace, I know so many of us in America have definitely strayed from the fundamentals of life that once made us not just a great nation, but a nation of great families. And I know that's really on your heart. It's it's adversely affected how we're raising our kids today. So I guess the problem itself keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, I trust that today's guest is going to be able to shed some more light on why giving up the basics pulls the base out from under our family structure. Mm. Well, Rich, you were talking about Vince Lombardi in the opening uh, here's how far he went back to the basics, okay? He, stand, he stands his team before him. He holds up a football and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> well, you know, I really think that we in the church need to do the same thing when it comes to raising our kids. And my dad used to say all the time, uh, uh, you know, parenting is very simple. He's talking about smaller kids, but he says, uh, see size of parent, see, you know, see size of child, class dismissed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, joining us today on Licensed to Parent is a special guest. Let me introduce him uh, for today. His, his name is John Stone Street. John is uh, a speaker and a fellow of the Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He's a greatly gifted communicator on areas of faith and culture, on theology, worldview, education, and apologetics. He's a sought-after speaker at conferences and colleges, churches, schools, and other various gatherings each year. And you might also recognize John as the co-host, along with Eric Metaxas, of Breakpoint. That's the Christian worldview program that was founded by the late Chuck Colson. He's also the voice of The Point a daily national radio feature on worldview, apologetics, and cultural issues. He serves as a senior content advisor for Summit Ministries in uh, Colorado. John holds degrees from Trinity University Divinity School and Bryan College, and he's the co-author of Making Sense of Your World, a Biblical Worldview, published by Sheffield Press. He and his wife, Sarah, have three daughters and a dog, and they live in Colorado Springs. And by the way, if you'd like to connect with John, you can do that at thepointradio.org. Well, John, welcome back to the Licensed to Parent Broadcast, brother. It's a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's uh, good to be back on with you guys. Well, John, since we last talked on the radio together, that's been, I guess, two years ago now, uh, you and I and the world lost a tremendous friend and ally in the war of worldviews and in the fight to perpetuate the gospel here in America and, and around the world. Of course, I'm referring to Chuck Colson. Is America still producing men who can still fill shoes like that? 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that in light of uh, where you guys started the, the the conversation with Vince Lombardi. I mean, the last book really that Chuck put together was a book called The Faith, and it was exactly that. Gentlemen, here's a football. You know, gentlemen, mm-hmm. here's the Christian faith. And and really, I think what he feared was that um, you know whether it's kind of political agendas from both the right and the left, whether it's uh, cultural um, you know moral shifts that have happened. Uh, you know, over the last couple generations, there was a lot of things that was really kind of compromising uh, our understanding of the fundamentals of what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that was Chuck's favorite quotation mm-hmm. um, from a, a, a Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper, that there's not a single square inch in the whole domain of human existence where Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, does not claim, that's mine. And I, I think one of the things that Chuck really believed had had slipped in, in the Christian church is it really an understanding of whose world it actually is. Right. Uh, you know, there was a, a sociologist of religion, uh, Christian Smith, used to be in your neck of the woods there at UNC uh, and now is over at Notre Dame, but, you know, studied the uh, worldview of high school and college kids. And what he found is that kids who claimed to be religious and specifically Christian, when it really came down to it, they were what he called moralistic, therapeutic deists. Mm. In other words, Christianity was about being good. It was about feeling good. But the fundamental issue was that they really believed it was their world and they could invite God in whenever they wanted. They didn't live in God's world. And I think that was really one of the fundamental things that Chuck believed uh, also had had slipped Mm -hmm. in our culture. Uh, and, you know, Chuck was a great man. We miss him uh, at the Colson Center. I think American Christianity misses him. So many people come up and, and tell me wherever I'm at speaking, you know, Chuck encouraged me. Chuck mobilized me. You know, I went through the Centurions program. I listened to Breakpoint for years. Uh, Chuck had an amazing influence. And I, I tell you, Trace, just from my perspective, Eric Metaxas and I uh, do not feel like we are filling his shoes because that is mm. just really impossible. And he would have never wanted that anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think we kind of feel like we're just trying to stand on his his big, broad shoulders and do the best we can. Well, I think uh, it's no secret that there is a crisis of manhood in America today. And my question is, how and why is it so important for today's Christian dads in particular to emulate a guy like this, uh, you know, for the sake of their families, for the church, for our culture? You know, my colleague Eric Metaxas just wrote a terrific book uh, that I think addresses what you're talking about. It's called Seven Men. And uh, he, he addresses seven men and, and what they had to do to actually influence history. You know, guys like William Wilberforce, uh, George Washington, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, and others. And he had Abraham Lincoln in there. And when, and when Chuck passed away, he, he, he swapped out Abraham Lincoln for uh, Chuck Colson, which was, uh, huh. we, wow. we make jokes about that all the time. But, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I think one of the things um, th- that, that is missing is this idea that there's more to life than just what we can see touch, taste, feel, smell, and hear. I mean, sure. one of my favorite lines um, from a, kind, of, kind of a cultural thinker is that we don't have a lot of atheists in America. Most people would claim to believe in God, mm-hmm. but we do have a lot of practical atheists. We have a lot of people that at the end of the day just think God is irrelevant. But when you realize who God is and that we live in his world, then you realize that you're part of something that's far bigger than yourself. And that's certainly something that Chuck believed and lived, that this wasn't about him. Uh, even the Colson Center, even Prison Fellowship, these wonderful ministries, never was about him. Right. It was about the kingdom of God. Uh, There's something that is bigger than our culture. It's bigger than our lives, bigger than our family. And our lives and our culture and our churches and our communities find their place in that, in the reality that is the kingdom of God. And I, I think a lot of Christians Christians 
uh, are trying to figure out ways to squeeze Jesus into their cultural lives rather than live in culture as if they're living a, a part of a bigger story. And that's what Chuck did so well. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. I, and I, I, I see a lot of uh, parents who, if they really realized who their kids really belong to, they might raise them differently as well, and uh, uh, which all goes back to the importance of first having a biblical worldview when you're when you're raising your kids. But what's it going to take to cultivate, as C.S. Lewis once said, men with chests again? I mean, uh, it just seems like we got a lot of Peter Pan males. Uh, you know, their 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 greatest goal in life at 35, 40 years old now is uh, you know the next level of a video game. What's it going to take to get these guys back to uh, as C.S. Lewis described, men with chests? Well, listen, I'm so glad that you pointed to that because I think, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorites, one of, was one of Chuck Colson's favorites. In fact, the uh, first time I went and visited Chuck and Patty in their home, he showed me the pipe that C.S. Lewis had that the curator of the C.S. Lewis uh, home, uh, in, uh, you know, outside of Oxford mm-hmm. gave to him. Um, and, and I think, you know, you mentioned Men Without Chess, which, of course, is the first chapter in a book that's more true today than it's ever been, a book called The Abolition of Man. And I, and I think that... Uh, and here's the other thing I like about Lewis too is you know you read Men Without Chests and it's it's kind of you know this commentary on the British educational system and it's kind of uh, a, a little bit tough to follow. But, but what I love about Lewis is if you can't get his his writing uh, his nonfiction, you can always go to Narnia and he always embodied it in those mm-hmm. stories. And I, I think there's a lot to be learned from I think the story that embodied what he was trying to say in Men Without Chess, and it's the story, you know, the voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, you know, the, the one of the great opening lines of any book is in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, in which he began by saying, you know, his name was Eustace Clarence Scrubs, and he almost deserved it. <laughs> you know, and you're like, that's what a great opening line. Because Eustace, Eustace is kind of, you know, his generation's version of the Peter Pan syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. he's the one who's who, who, who is this kind of snotty-nosed, um, yeah. mm-hmm. life-is-all-about-me sort of kid, and who lands on this boat in Narnia and doesn't know what to do because he He's the boy without a chest. And, and and yet you have, you know, through the through the story, Eustace develops into a man. He develops into somebody with a chest. And it, and it has to do with a lot of factors. And I think the first factor, Trace, is getting those fundamentals of belief down right. Sure. Um, what we often say uh, to, to, to parents and students uh, is that the battle of ideas, the battle for your kid's worldview – is the battle over definitions. Mm-hmm. And definitions are very rarely argued. Most of the time we get them like we get sick. We just catch them from our culture. We get our definition of love and freedom and truth from our culture. And I think one of the most important things parents need to do is fight for the definitions of those keywords with their kids. One of the things we do here with our kids at Shepherd's Hill Academy, we have a captive audience. They live in the woods with no running water or electricity for a year. Uh, and we talk about these things. And, and uh, just what you said, the, we're defining freedom, grace, love, peace, beauty, art, godly terms with the devil's dictionary. C- can you describe to our audience just how important it is uh, it, with with deconstruction, postmodern thought, to make sure that you're on the same terms with your kids. Well, I think you said it right. I mean, a lot of times we're using the same vocabulary, but not the same dictionary, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 our worldview is kind of what it, it's not what we think. It's even what we kind of believe before we think. It's the thing we use to think from. And a lot of times we just kind of absorb definitions and so on for, for, from our culture. So I'll give you an example, right? We, I, you know, we used to be ten years ago when we said, you know, we need to defend traditional marriage. Uh, most of the kids kind of knew 
what we meant. Right. Uh, today, even at a conservative Christian school or a homeschool group, and I say, defend the traditional family, I get kind of blank stares mm-hmm. because almost every experience they've had, maybe not personally with their own family, but maybe so there too. But if you look on TV, what is a modern family? Well, that's the show, right? Modern right. family. And you have a gay couple and you have a, you know, a, a remarried trophy wife couple. And then right. you've got, you know, a normal, you know, uh, you know, what we might call a natural family there. And they're all set aside one by one. I think one of the, the huge transition points, Trace, in, in pop culture was Will and Grace. In fact, Joe Biden actually mm-hmm. said that. I think it's the only time I've ever agreed with Joe Biden ever yeah. uh, is <laughs> yeah. when he said that Will and Grace, you know, really transformed how we thought about homosexuality and gay marriage. Why? Not because there had never been gay individuals portrayed as characters on TV, but because in that show, Will played the same role for Grace that Cliff Huxtable played for the Cosby family. Mm. He was the one who solved the problems. Yeah. And so now you have this idea of normal. Right. And, and so that, that, that kind of reflects culture is kind of whatever definitions and whatever reality a group of people think are normal. So you're right. Parents have got to fight for this. Let me give you a strategy, Trace. I found this to be really effective with the students that I work with, with my own kids, uh, with, with the college students I used to teach. And it comes right from the two great educators in history, Socrates and Jesus. And what they were both really good at uh, was not giving answers, but asking good questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, This should be a question that every parent has in their back pocket. What do you mean by that? Uh, somebody says, I-, I love God. Well, what do you mean by God? You know, because you can't always know that you're That's talking right. about the same guy anymore, right? What do you, and, and really important, what do you mean by love? Are you just talking about strong feelings? Are you still going to love God when the strong feelings go away? These are ways to create dialogue about the most fundamental definitions of our lives really by asking questions. Yeah, and your children are going to be asking you questions too, uh, which is why keeping an open dialogue with your kids is so important. Right. Uh, but John, with the English language being butchered today uh, through texting and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, not to mention culture's redefining of terms or undefining, I suppose. Uh, I even remember a former president who questioned what the definition of is is right. under oath. Yeah. But with all the vagueness in language, not to mention in truth, where is the Christian voice in all of this? I mean, how do we communicate and promote the Christian worldview in a way that'll break through the clutter? I, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm actually pretty encouraged by the opportunity. I'm not encouraged by our, uh, you know, how equipped we are to seize the opportunity. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's that old saying in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when entertainment and, and especially what we call art gets dumbed down to kind of the titillating, you know. Uh, you know, lots of noise and smoke, but not a lot of excellence and not a lot of depth and content and thoughtfulness. I, I think Christians have an amazing opportunity to uh, train students who can emerge as cultural leaders. I agree. I, I, you know, I love what Lewis said. You know, we don't need more Christian books. We need more books by Christians on everything else. Amen. I, I, one of the mantras here is don't separate the sacred from the secular. Find the sacred in the secular. And if you can't, take the sacred to the secular. Well, that's, that's right. And I think there's a brilliant opportunity for families to embody godly families. I mean, I, look, I, I see signs, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the, the legal push of same sex marriage or something like that, but, and, it, and it's, and it's a dreadful thing, but we got to remember that the laws are reflecting the culture. They're not driving the culture. The culture is way ahead of us on this one. That's right. But I also, this is all coming out of the sexual revolution. It's all coming out of really bad definitions of love and sex uh, and family. 
mm-hmm. you know, but there's signs of sexual exhaustion as well. You know, I mean, the number one social cause of the day is dealing with sex trafficking. Well, it's our addiction to porn that's driving that industry. So pretty soon, I think some of these connections are going to be made. And mm-hmm. so as the church can emerge and offer hope and offer a restored vision of the goodness of married sexuality and the good gift that it is, particularly to women and children, and protecting them, I think the church has, you know, has a wonderful opportunity ahead of it. Uh, it's going to be different. I mean, I it's not right. going to be operating from the cultural majority anymore. It's going to be operating in, in, a, in a context of cultural brokenness. How do we provide mm-hmm. restoration and hope? And I think, man, if we can help kids think well about life and be, as you said, men with chests, mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity for the gospel to grow is going to be pretty significant. I think you're right. Gentlemen, we've got to take a break here on the program, Licensed to Parent. Our host is Trace Embry. Our special guest today, John Stone Street from the Colson Center. We will be back with more conversation right after this. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherd's Hill Academy offers a 12-month, Christ-centered, nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and Licensed to Parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. It's difficult to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're face-to-face with a teenager who argues with you at every turn. Maybe you and your teen can't talk to one another about anything without it getting complicated. For nearly two decades, Shepherd's Hill Academy has been bringing healing to teens and families from around the world. Up until now, that help has come through its residential treatment facility in North Georgia. But now, your family can benefit from that experience at home through Shepherd's Hill Family Coaching, designed to help you discern God's will for your family, build good communication skills, deal with defiant children, and more. Our family coaching team will work with you by phone, in your home, at work, even while you're on the road, to help your family develop a game plan to succeed. Sign up for Shepherd's Hill Family Coaching today by visiting LicensedToParent.org. Live the family life your family was designed for. Click on the Family Coaching banner at LicensedToParent.org. We are back on Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy with Trace Embry. I'm Rich Rosal, and again, our special guest today, John Stone Street of the Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview. We are discussing a number of topics, including uh, parts of his book, Making Sense of Your World, a Biblical Worldview, that's published by Sheffield Press. Trace? Well, John, one would think that certainly Christian parents would want their kids to adopt a biblical worldview. In the foreword of your book, uh, Making Sense of Your World, Dr. Norman Geisler makes the statement that in our culture, our current culture, the very preconditions for understanding the gospel have evaporated. What are some of these preconditions that he's talking about here? 
Well, I, I think there's a number of them. I mean, this is really, you know, why it's so important to be intentional about what you believe instead of just embracing it. Because, you know, if you just kind of lived and swam in our culture, you would pretty, you know, you would come to the conclusion, well, you know, it's not really sin, it's disorder. It's not really guilt before God. You know, it's really just, uh, you, you know, you know, unfortunate circumstances, you know. In other words, we've, for example, defined down what evil and, and sin and wrongdoing actually are. Uh, we'd also kind of get to this idea that religion and religious belief is personal and private. So religious truth claims don't have any claim on the world. They just have, you know, they're just things that I can pick up and put down. And we see that statistic, for example, I think right now, uh, Trace, I mean, we, we've got statistics that are encouraging, like, you know, this generation is more pro-life than their parents were. Right. But this generation is also more likely to drive their friends to an abortion clinic if they need help. So how do you put those two together? Mm-hmm. Well, from our culture, you believe that moral truth is personal and private. It's not public. It doesn't apply outside of one's life. You can't really tell someone else abortion's wrong. You just have to embrace it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of preconditions of, of, of kind of basic fundamental definitions of God, of truth, of, of human life, of right and wrong. And if you don't really understand them, then what you mean by becoming a Christian, getting saved, being in the kingdom of God, these things also become personal and private. So, you know, as one of my friends in college used to say, uh, you know, a lot of Christians are just secularists with a twist. You know, in other words, <laughs> we kind of decorate our life with Jesus, but we're yeah. operating from a secular framework. Yeah, sure. And that's why we got to back up and be intentional about the most important questions of life, the fundamental things we believe. Well, John, if culture defines religious beliefs as personal, uh, do you see that affecting Christian families then? Well, I mean, I, I think one of the things that should alarm uh, us all is the, you know, kind of the level of disconnect that we see uh, among Christian families and, in, and, in, and among Christians themselves between uh, what they believe and how they live, uh, or what they say they believe, I guess, and, and, and how they live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, study just uh, what a couple weeks ago from ChristianMingle.com, a Christian um, dating site, online dating site. You know, sixty three percent, I think it was, of eighteen to fifty nine year old singles in the church would say they would have sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. And so, wait a minute, where, where do you get that? I mean, this is on a Christian dating site. You know, sixty three percent actually say, "I love Jesus, I go to church, you know, I read the Bible, but when it comes to sex, I'm going to keep that to myself and I'm going to do what I want." So that reveals that there's a worldview shift. I mean, we've talked before on the show here, uh, Trace, about the number of students who walk away, you know, from their belief system. Sure. Uh, from from Christianity when they go to college or when they enter into culture. I, I think even more alarming are not those that walk away, but those that kind of mix really bad ideas in with their Christianity. And, and why are so many kids walking away? Well, again, I think it's because they they lack that kind of thoughtful uh, uh, defense of a Christian worldview. I, mm-hmm. I think, uh, and, and it's, it's usually a mix. It's a mix of moral struggle plus intellectual doubt. Sure. And moral struggle justifies our intellectual doubt, is what we read in Romans chapter 1. And so a younger generation who aren't morally formed, maybe they have been told what to believe, but not how to actually live it out. And, and young people who aren't intellectually formed, in other words, they know what to believe, but they don't know why it's true. They can't actually defend it when it's challenged. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you have a lot of, you know, I think information about what to believe that kids kind of absorb from church, but when it actually comes under challenge, either morally uh, or intellectually, uh, a lot of them are left defenseless and um, it leaves them in a really vulnerable state. And with the onslaught of digital technology, uh, it's harder to, to get kids away from that stuff to even learn the deeper issues of life. 
How do we get kids away from being Category 5 techno addicts? I think that's the question of the ages, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, at least a question of our, of our age. I, I think first you have to walk with them through the use of that technology. I mean, mm-hmm. if you just take it away from them, um, you know, that, that, that's going to be relatively successful. But I think if you find moments to jump into their world and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? And ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, questions create dialogue. Uh, sermons and parenting is, I think, more of a monologue. I think we need more dialogue. What's going on here? How is it happening? The other recommendation, I found this extremely helpful in our own family, is from a a brilliant thinker. I'm not even sure she's a believer. Uh, Sherry Turkle of MIT has written just incredible stuff on the impact of technology to the younger generation. Her most recent book is called Alone Together. It's just stunning. Hmm. But as 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 far as I know, not a a Christian, she uses the phrase sacred space, that you got to have some space where conversations are fostered where you don't let technology in, like she says, in the car, at the dinner table, in the bedroom. Now, of course, we know it's insane for a parent to give a 13-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid, especially a male, Mm -hmm. unfettered access and unaccountable access to the internet, either on a computer or smartphone in the privacy of their bedroom. And that's just just like a recipe for disaster. That's like giving a three-year-old a loaded gun without the safety on. I mean, it's not just because of the moral failure. It's that because, you know, at the dinner table and in the car, These are captive audience conversation places. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think, again, Christians who know how to relate well to others, how to have great conversations, how to ask good questions, how to be winsome and thoughtful are going to have an amazing impact in a culture that because of our addiction to technology – is relationally starved, right? Yeah. So again, this is a preparation for leadership, but it's also a, 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 a protection against moral failure. Sure. We only have a few seconds left. Give us a brief summary uh, as to how important it is for, for not just parents, but for pastors and youth workers uh, and, and other child care professionals to have at least a cursory handle on the issues of worldview, uh, especially in, in today's ever-changing society. Well, look, I mean, what, what the, our, our congregants get by proxy from our culture is that religion should be kept personal and private. And if Christians, if there's the same people, then don't know actually how to engage the culture around them, how to think well about the issues, then it's going to further privatize their faith. But what we know from Scripture, our faith is personal, but it's not private. Jesus' claim on, is not just on our own lives and on our own you know, uh, eternal destination. Jesus' claim is on all of human history. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the center. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Mm-hmm. And so thinking in terms of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area, got to do it. And uh, you know, one of the things that I, I, I'm so honored to do every day, uh, Trace, is, to, is, is the breakpoint commentaries with uh, Eric Metaxas. And mm-hmm. this is one simple way to jump in. Every single day, Eric and I, from a Christian worldview perspective, talk about something that's going on in the culture, and we talk about it from more than just a moral outrage or a pat on the back. We actually back it up and say, wait a minute, what's going on here from a Christian worldview perspective? Great thing to print out, read at the dinner table, parents. If you got a high school or middle schooler, something to do. Pastors, great resource to email around to your church or to use as an illustration on Sunday morning, and it's free every single day. Breakpoint.org, you can catch it on radio. You can also subscribe to get it in your email box. Well, it's, it's great to back it up because you can. You have the luxury of having the truth on your side. That's right. God bless you for doing it. Yeah. I appreciate it. John, thanks so much for being with us on Licensed to Parent. Thank you, gentlemen. Our guest today has been John Stone Street. John is with the Chuck Colson Center for Christian Worldview. His book, Making Sense of Your World, A Biblical Worldview, is published by Sheffield Press and is available at breakpoint.org. 
Licensed to Parent is the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, located just north of Atlanta. Find out more about our work with troubled teens, as well as hear archives of past programs and our one-minute features on parenting on our website, licensedtoparent.org. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our free e-newsletter, Insight for Today's Culture. Each week, you'll receive great articles, plus links to videos and other interviews that we've produced to help you renew your mind and reset your worldview to a biblical one. And if you can, please support our ministries by clicking on the Donate button. Again, that website address is licensedtoparent.org. Well, our time is up, so for Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you back again next week to renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time. <laughs>